0: I don't really know how to start shows.
1: Come on now, don't start start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to you. Well, you'll see later. i stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots who think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. (laughs) we got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. (laughs) Why are you laughing?
0: Evening everybody welcome to another episode of why are you laughing a history of comedy podcast and today I am pleased to introduce to you Ron White Uh, you may know him from the blue collar comedy tour but uh, in my opinion he's kind of a uh, you know one of these I guess you could say underappreciated living legend types um, that I would like to talk a little more about we have a few legit living legends coming up I think the next two are a little more Uh, Infamous than uh, Ron White is But um, I I figured I wanted to talk about Ron White Because I think he is different uh, From the other blue collar guys So we will get to that in a second I think uh, Good news folks I think in the next few weeks We will be back in our home base The Vaulted Podcast Studios In Pateka, Rhode Island Um, But I appreciate everyone I guess the sound hasn't been too bad Because we haven't gotten any complaints So I appreciate everyone bearing with us there. And if you want to support the show, you can go to blindmike.net. That is where you can find everything for Why You Laughing and the Blind Mike Project. You can subscribe to the Patreon. If uh, you become an executive gearhead or higher, you can get Why You Laughing episodes a week early. As well as uh, all the bonus content we have on there and fun stuff. Uh, You can also find the merch. And if you want to just support the show for free, um, all the links to uh itunes and uh uh, spotify and all that are at blindmike.net. um i would promote the youtube as well but that apparently doesn't exist we've been naughty boys we have been uh as you guys could probably expect uh if there's a show out there watching quincy you say oh these are dangerous guys their youtube is going to get taken down eventually (laughs) so the the hammer of justice has come down on our youtube so uh we apologize if you're used to watching this on YouTube, but it'll be back soon enough. Um, all right. I guess that's enough of an intro. Hello, Craig. Hi, Mike.
2: <laughs> always, always fun to have you here. <laughs> uh, you're a Ron White fan, correct? I really am, actually. I don't know if it's because uh, he's compared to the other blue collar guys or if I actually just really like him.
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think that certainly helped him. Um, So that's kind of the dynamic we'll be talking about today is I think in some ways he's an underrated comedian because he kind of wrestled with um, a lot of the blue collar stuff like both Family Guy and um, Saturday Night Live. I remember had a little like, you know, bits or sketches, whatever. I don't know what family guys would be considered, but a cutaway of, uh, making fun of the blue collar comedy tour and what both of them were mocking was the idea of just having like catchphrase comics obviously get her done and you might be a redneck and bill engvall's dumb one but bill engvall is such a hack that his catchphrase <laughs> was less
2: memorable than the other two i don't even know what his was i i know i think it, I
0: think it was here's your sign yes. or there's
2: your sign yeah something about a sign
0: <laughs> yeah um So the injustice that was kind of done to Ron White, in my opinion, was he was lumped in with those guys. So they would take like one of Ron's bits that we'll play later, uh, the tater salad thing, and they they would essentially like substitute that as his catchphrase. So they like turned him into a catchphrase comic, which he has never been. Um, However, on the flip side, if you're just grading him against other comics of his era, um, you know, if you're putting him up against Louis C.K., well, then he comes off as a bit of a cornball, you know. So he's had this weird area where he's judged either, I think, uh, too harshly, or maybe at times not harshly enough, based on his, based on his Well, I guess what I'm saying is he's not judged on
2: his comedy enough. It's more the surrounding elements. Correct. I don't. I don't think he, I've never watched him and been like, wow, he's corny.
0: No, but here's the thing. Because I think he's like a cooler guy than the rest of the Blue Collar tour. Mm -hmm. And he's genuinely himself. He's not, you know, Larry the Cable. He's not some character. He is himself. But if you, with a critical ear, analyze his uh, punchlines, some of them are very good and very well written. And some of them are kind of like jokes you would hear your uncle tell. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And part of that is also that I'm 35 years younger than him. You know, so that's just going to also happen naturally. Uh, or that, that I'm going to think that naturally. But we'll start um, early on in Ron White's life where uh, the substance abuse started pretty early. So Ron joined the Navy um, towards the end of the Vietnam War. And um, it, he, he didn't strike me as a guy that fit in in that sort of disciplined lifestyle. And as uh, you'll hear him tell, I believe, Joey Diaz here. Uh, that's true. That was true to form.
1: Where were you stationed in the Navy? I was uh, stationed at uh, uh, Pearl Harbor, <laughs> and uh, so we went on a Western Pacific uh, cruise. And then I got I got busted. Uh, they had a drug test on our boat, and I, you know, eight of us out of the only seventy six people on the boat, and eight of us got busted for heroin. And uh, they really took it seriously.
0: <laughs> yeah, they got to stick up their ass about it. We all, we're, we're armed with heroin. <laughs> That's an, uh, another thing. Just listen to that clip about Ron White is I could just listen to him talk about anything, you know? Oh, he's the best. I think, yeah, I think he's one of these guys that I like more probably Not dissimilar from Joe Rogan, where I'd I'd rather listen to Ron talk, just, you know, pontificate about whatever he's thinking about rather than do stand-up. Like, I don't dislike either of those guys, Rogan or Ron White, as a Mm stand-up, but they're not my favorites necessarily. But they're very interesting guys to listen to speak, and I think Ron White, A, just has a voice. Like, he could very easily play, um, like, Sam Elliott's brother in a movie or something like that. Oh, yeah. He uh, he-,
2: he, he did Joe Rogan's show I went, within the last year, and he was telling this story about um, going on, like, a psychedelic trip.
0: Oh, we'll get to that. I think um, the story I have is from uh, Two Bears, One Cave. But, yeah, he tells the same story. Uh, so we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, because he has cleaned up his act as far as uh, substance abuse goes a little bit. Yeah, but I was but yeah, just, I just saying, was,
2: yeah, I, yeah, I was just meaning, like... It's it's a story that you would assume would be summed up in ten minutes, and he talked for like an hour, and I wanted to hear everything he had to say about it.
0: Right? Yeah, and there's something about that slow Southern drawl, and he's just puffing on a cigar. Yeah, and you know, drinking a glass of scotch, exactly. and there's a nice atmosphere to it. And that's the thing. Maybe this is a bad thing if you're looking at, um, you know, a kid watching this. But I remember on Comedy Central, his special would play constantly. Oh yeah, and um, I believe it was a drunken public that was on Comedy Central all the time. I think so. I'm not positive, um, but uh, he would he would just be him with his big cigar, uh, you know, puffing on it the entire time. Every once in a while, he'd uh, sip his glass of scotch, and sometimes he like capitalized the punchline with a, a swig. And there was something that looked like so fun about it. And I was listening to that same episode of Rogan you were referencing and he said, um, spoiler alert, he quits drinking eventually, (laughs) but he said part of the thing that made it difficult for him to quit drinking is um, like he would always have a cigar and a, a drink on stage. And he said, you know, the, the kind of character that I've built, he goes, he said, the guys that are fans of me, look at me as like their fantasy draft pick for a drinking buddy. Like the ultimate guy you'd want to sit at the end of a bar with and just tell stories. That was kind of the personality that Ron White built up. So a lot like Dice, like if you go see Dice now, uh, he quits smoking, but he'll stand up there with an unlit cigar And it's almost just like a habit that he has. So now you'll see Ronway go up and I'll have a drink. And he literally says to Rogan, he goes, I don't know who I'm fooling. Cause then in my act, I'll talk about how I've quit drinking. (laughs) So it's just some psychological thing that's, that's, you know, ingrained in him where it's like, I don't know. Am I as fun? That's the thing. A lot of these guys deal with, like, am I as funny if I quit, uh, you know, drinking or doing drugs or whatever, that's an insecurity. um, A lot
2: of comedians have Farley's uh, Farley syndrome.
0: I mean, yeah, Farley was probably the worst example where they people would tell stories of him getting fucked up and just literally ask, "Am I funny? Do you think I'm funny?"
2: Yeah, he thought and, if and he so, lost yeah. weight, he wouldn't be funny anymore.
0: That too, yeah, that, and that's a pretty natural insecurity, I think, to have. Um, but now let's hear—he uh, gets right into the uh, the world of stand-up comedy, and he had uh, a strange, at least based on his stories. Um, he got off to a good early start and then kind of leveled off for a long time, at least the way he makes it seem.
1: I mean, we're in the era that I came up, uh, you you couldn't get a lot of advice. Now, Jeff Foxworthy uh, helped me a lot, and he actually, the first time I did a stand-up ever, I don't know, do you guys know who Jeff is? And, and, uh, and, okay, good, good. Jeff's funny, man. Unbelievable writer, and uh, this was September 17th, 1986, uh, I did my first open mic night. He was the headliner in the club. It was in Arlington, Texas, where I lived, and he came up to me after the show and he goes, "You're really funny, but you need to put the punchline at the end of the joke." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that sounds like a great idea." How do you do that? that? So this is how generous the guy is, and uh, he sits down with a brand new comedian, and uh, and rewrites my four minute set so I was saying the funny thing last. Now. To to this day, I mean, he was, was his goal for a lot of years to make me a famous comedian, and he truly sucks at it because it took him for forever. <laughs> I don't mean to seem ungrateful, but I got to do Jeff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so right in there, you kind of hear how, like, I mean, that's a pretty huge break to have. Jeff Foxworthy was very famous. Extremely. Like that, you might be a redneck was a huge thing for a long time. Um. And so to have a guy like that help you, you know, craft your jokes is a pretty big break to have at, you know, one of your very early open mic nights. Um, And then as he says, I think it took him, I think that was like 18 years before uh, the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. So it was a long time to get to that level of success. But so here's the interesting thing, and I'm sure maybe we'll do a full Blue Collar episode. The reason I wanted to separate Ron White is because I think he's separate. I think he got lumped in there the same way. um, I know Nate Bergetzi opened for them a couple of times, uh, like, you know, towards the end of that run, I think. Hmm. And, you know, let's just say it's a different era because Nate's a lot younger than those guys. But if Nate got lumped into that crew, Nate is a brilliantly funny comedian, much more like Brian Regan than any of those guys. Um, but because he has, you know, a nice Southern way of talking, he could have easily got lumped in with them. And then you would think of Nate Brigette's differently, um, if he was part of that crew, which is why I wanted to separate Ron, because I think he's, uh, whether you like him or not, a genuinely funny comedian. Now, when I say that, it almost sounds like this. Um, I hate the other guys. I actually think Jeff Fox Gets shit on far too much. And like I said, I don't want to spend a ton of time on him, but you know, he does have a gimmick. The You Might Be a Redneck thing is a gimmick. He focuses very much on being, uh, you know, an old Southern guy, and that's his shtick, which I understand, but. As like a joke writer, I don't think he's a hack. I think what makes you might be a redneck hack, quote unquote, is that it was parodied in 10 million different ways over the years. Then it became a punchline. And so now we think of it as a corny thing. But the first time he did it, and here's the other thing that makes it a little hack. The second time you do it. You know what I mean? Like Mm. the first time you do it, oh, this is a unique, interesting bit. The second time... It's like, oh, he's trotting this out again. Now it's your thing. It's not just an original thing that you did once. Um, Which is why the guys, you know, from Carlin and Pryor to Louis and Chappelle, uh, they don't they don't spend a lot of time on things. Colin Quinn's a great example where everyone wants Colin Quinn. You go, it'd be so much better to redo tough crowd now, but Colin Quinn just keeps moving. He's like, no, I'm doing other things. I'm doing one man shows. I'm talking about the constitution and, uh, you know, New York city and all the, he has these different uh, like topics that he wants to get into. And he's not slowing down to go back and do something he already did. So I think that's what makes people judge guys like Jeff Foxworthy, a little harsher. And, I think Ron has that where he was constantly changing his material. It would be very easy for him to tell that tater salad story that, again, we'll get to (laughs) um, over and over again. And, you know, we've talked about before, sometimes you do it to appease the audience like Gaffigan or Bert Kreischer. But he was constantly creating new material. And I think he has a lot more original stuff than uh, the rest of the guys on that tour.
2: I would find it funny, though, if someone, when you're like, uh, I hope no one's offended that I'm or making it. It's, I hope it's not coming across like I'm making fun of Jeff Foxworthy. Like they would hear your is Jerry Seinfeld funny episode and then be like, this Foxworthy take is out of listen, line. Yeah, listen, pal. <laughs> Seinfeld I was on board with. This is too far.
0: <laughs> You've criticized Ron White. <laughs> Um, so now that I've talked about it enough, we're getting into the blue collar stuff now, right?
2: Yep. Uh, this is the rise of blue collar. Yeah. So let's hear just a little more about that.
0: When the blue collar tour kicked off, and then and then it took off for you. How old were you?
1: Uh, was, let's see. Probably forty five. Or so, forty five or forty six.
0: So you're just working as a comic up until forty five, and then
1: boom, sixteen years clubs, fifty weeks a year, uh, doing nine shows a week. So which is how you get good at this, you know. That's that's the best way to do it. Not not here, out there working, you know, different crowds, and and then uh, Jeff, you know, signed me up for this thing, and uh, first time I heard the idea, I told him that's retarded. That's, a, that's, how, that's how smart I am, and um, the uh, the the whole clincher to my career is Warner Brothers decided to make a movie out of that thing, and uh,
0: yeah. So uh, it's funny. So basically, what Foxworthy saw was the kings of comedy, and said, "Well, I could put together a crew of guys that appeals to a different audience. Um, you know, like the king of comedy or kings of comedy." Uh, Bernie Mac, Steve Harvey, Cedric the Entertainer and D.L. Hughley appealed to more of a, uh, shall we say, urban audience. And Jeff Foxworthy said, well, I can appeal to the, the sticks, you know, the suburbs and uh, out in the the goddamn woods. Um, and it worked to perfection. Now, again, Ron's material, I don't know, is, is only for that group of people the way Foxworthy and Larry the Cable Guy and Bill, Bill Engvall is. Definitely not. You know, I think he has a much broader appeal that I don't know that he necessarily found. Like, um, I, I, well, I, he, he has come to Boston, I guess. Unfortunately, I've missed him. Oh, the other thing, by the way, that I should have mentioned earlier, part of the reason I wanted to talk about Ron White, and I chose him as a subject, is uh, he's retiring from comedy. This year pretty much like I think he said he's going to move to Austin and he'll Perform at like Rogan's Club And the Creek in the Cave and stuff like that But as far as being a touring comic At least as of now he's Retiring so I wanted to remind people Get out and see Ron White while you still can Um, Because I I, I think he's a a Very funny guy but uh, This blue collar tour Was such a monster And Warner Brothers made a movie Out of it that was played all the time. I mean, there wasn't um, the massive success at first. Well, I think he's going to explain it, actually. We have a clip of him talking about the movie, right? Yep. All right, so let's play that first, and then I'll tell you a little more.
1: <laughs> but uh, then it, you know, it, did it for some reason, it just tested. It was really well-liked across the board, and uh, and. uh and then and it was one of the biggest selling comedy albums of all time for DVDs, four million copies.
0: Well, it was giant. I remember and, when it came out. It was just one of those things like, whoa, nobody ever did that before. Nobody ever put together a bunch of killers and then did a movie.
1: Well, they did, actually the Kings of Comedy did, did, did. They and did we, it first? <laughs> yeah, we totally ripped off the black man again, mm. you know.
0: <laughs> so so yeah, like I said, uh Jeff Foxworthy stealing from uh, the great Steve Harvey. But I, I don't know in the Kings of Comedy, who would be the Jeff Fox? Who's like the veteran Cedric? Really? I don't even know.
2: We'll have to do an episode on that because I'm not sure. I oh. I think of those four guys as all equals. Probably Bernie. I don't know. Bernie was the one that stood out.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Steve Harvey is by far the most famous now. Now. Well, I mean, one of them for, for other reasons, I guess. <laughs> for the alive um, ones. <laughs> his, his, his wacky reactions to things. No but anyways. Back to Ron White. Um, So, yeah, his career kind of skyrocketed after that, and he was able to sell tickets wherever he went. Now, he said they've uh, they also made um, sequels to that movie that ended up going like straight to DVD. And, you know, he said his problem was kind of at first he thought like, ah, that's a stupid fucking idea. That Jeff Foxworthy had, and then it was hugely successful. So then he was kind of thinking, like, oh, pfft, this is gonna pay my bills forever. And then the next two didn't do so well, so he kind of dried up. But then I think the one of them they played on Comedy Central again all the all the time. Um, it's weird for as much as like you know Jeff Foxworthy was trying to appeal to an audience that uh, you know. Wasn't being targeted. Then Comedy Central swooped in and said, "All right, we'll target them all day, every day." Then they had the roast of uh, Jeff Foxworthy, Um, or was it Larry the Cable Guy? I forget who the roast was of. I think it was Larry. Let me check. Yeah, but um, oh, and here's an interesting too. Speaking of Larry the Cable Guy, um, that will never happen again, in the sense that. Um, you can find videos now of Dan Whitney. That's Larry, the cable guy's real name. Um, you can find videos of Dan Whitney performing comedy before he developed the character. Right, and you know, kind of the shame of what's gone on with the internet now is that that'll never happen again. Because there will be so many videos. You know, the second Larry the Cable guy got big, if he got big in the TikTok, Instagram era, there'd be 10 million videos. Like, look at this hack. He's right. not really Larry the Cable guy. But I think that's a disservice to comedy because then you're not allowing people to create characters. Because if you think Larry the Cable guy is some hack idea, then by definition, you have to think the same about Andrew Dice Clay. Right. Because that's also a character. He's not being himself, you know.
2: Right. And just so you know, the reason you thought Jeff Foxworthy had one and I thought Larry the Cable Guy had one is they both because did... they both had one.
0: That's the that's the, the the goddamn monsters that Jeff Foxworthy created. No kidding. That, is that they did, you know, Jeff Fox, whichever one was first, I'm guessing Jeff Foxworthy. Mm. And then Comedy Central said, people have not had enough of this
2: group. <laughs> they need more. <laughs> um, I actually don't know what year this came out. Foxworthy's. Um,
0: but yeah, so now let's get into, a, a little bit of, uh, stand standup, right? Those are the next clips.
2: Yep. Uh, this first one is, uh, drunk in public.
0: Yeah. So, uh, these are basically just examples of Ron's, uh, you know, why, uh, why I think Ron should be appreciated as a standup, but also examples of what the audience um, or more so, you know, the, the media and entertainment industry tried to paint Ron as because they made one of these bits like his zany catchphrase and turned him into having the same reputation as the other guys he was on tour with. But this is uh, the the bit that his special is named after, Drunk in Public.
3: Put the hat back on, the guy comes over to me. Now, I'm between 6'1 and 6'6, depending on which convenience store I'm leaving. Hmm. I weigh 235 pounds, this guy comes over to me, poking me in the shoulder with two fingers, says, you're out of here. I'm like, I don't think so, Scooter. <laughs> and I was wrong. <laughs> they hurled my ass. And then they squared off with me in the parking lot and I backed down from the fight, cause I don't know how many of them it would have taken to whip my ass. But I knew how many they were going to use. (laughs) (laughs) It's a handy little piece of information to have right there. (laughs) Overkill. (laughs) Well, they called the police because we broke a chair on the way out the door and I refused to pay for it. The cops showed up and at that point I had the right to remain silent, but I didn't have the ability. cop says, Mr. White, you are being charged with drunk in public. I was like, hi, 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 hi. hi. I was drunk in a bar. (laughs) They threw me into public. (laughs) I don't want to be drunk in public. I want to be drunk in a goddamn bar, which is perfectly legal. Arrest them. (laughs) (laughs) So, so like, Shit
0: like that is very endearing to Ron White, and it's kind of an example of what I was talking about before, where he embodies more of what an actual Southerner might be able to relate to, rather than what someone who's not from the South is able to wrap their mind around a Southerner being. You know what I mean? Like if we think of the South, like if we stereotype just someone from Alabama or wherever you think of Larry, the cable guy, but what the majority of people probably are, are Ron white and why he was so relatable because he's just a guy with stories who
2: happens to be from that area of the country. I I've always found him funny. And I, I always, uh, I've like, I used to collect comedy DVDs and I had all his and everything. He's yeah. just he's just like you said earlier he's just fun to listen to. <laughs> he
0: really he really is. And the thing I liked about Ron White also is like I said he he had this sort of, you know, redneck audience I guess. But he would also do bits like he would talk about uh homosexuality which it's weird to go back to think of how much times have changed. Like today maybe you know talking about um I guess it's it's similar to talking about like Transgender rights, that's the way they talked about just gay people in general 20 years ago, which is pretty wild. But Ron had this audience and he knew what his audience was, but he would still do bits about um, like how ridiculous it is to not want gay marriage or to think gay people are any different than him. And the bit is hilarious and you don't think of it as a preachy thing because it's centered around the idea of straight guys watching porn with a guy with a gigantic penis. <laughs> so it appeals to everyone and we all get it. And we don't think you're trying to be smarter than us. I think that's what guys like Ron White do a great job at where they are. They, they do have the ability to send you some kind of message, but they don't hammer you over the head with it. And it's not their entire act. And it's not how you think of them. Correct. Um But Now that I've uh, distracted you enough From forgetting what the original part of that bit was Let's hear the, the end of it As he's in the back of the police car This is probably his
3: most famous bit I would say Yeah I told you that story to tell you this story When I was 17 years old I was arrested for being drunk In public it Seemed to be a pattern If you knew Morse code You would already know that And one DWI, which was a bogus charge, because it turns out they were stopping every vehicle traveling down that particular sidewalk, (laughs) and that's profiling, (laughs) I believe, and the drunken public charge, and Fritz, the arresting officer, who I had literally known all my life. You know what I mean? This guy lived four doors down from me in a town of less than 400 people. We've met. <laughs> <laughs> he takes me to jail when we get there. He asked me if I have any aliases, and I was just being a smart ass and said, Yeah, they call me Tater Salad. <laughs> 17 years later in New York City, I'm handcuffed on a bench with blood coming out of my nose, and this cop goes, are you Ron Tater Salad? Why? <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> you caught the tater. You can take down those roadblocks now.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely his most famous bit, and uh, you know, he kind of got Put in this box, I think, for a little while Where he felt like he had to tell that on stage He talks about a little where he would um, Tell it from time to time And it's something that guys go Different directions on Like we said, Gaffigan and Burt are the examples We always use of guys who have no problem Telling that I mean, Seinfeld, part of my problem with Seinfeld Is that, you know, he has a, a special Where he literally throws away His, I'm telling you for the last time Is what it's called And then he still does the same bits for 15 years <laughs> um or you have guys like Ron White who are like yeah you know what sometimes i'll give it to you other times i won't but i think that's why in part some of Ron's fans weren't necessarily true comedy fans like um that's why i want to do episodes about guys like Ron White um you know to a different extent Colin Quinn and David Tell guys that aren't i don't think are appreciated enough by the mainstream. Ron White's kind of the opposite, where I almost feel like he should be more appreciated by true comedy fans. I feel like you don't hear him in the breath of a comics comic, where I think he does kind of fit that mold, but he had mainstream success, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and that kind of reputation never really left him, I don't think. I think in comedy, among comics, he has a lot of respect, Mm -hmm. but I don't think... It's a weird... Mix of people that will be at a Ron White show, I guess, is what I'm saying. Does that make sense?
2: Oh yeah. And not only did he get famous late, because he was talking about earlier that he got famous at 45. Yeah, he said he's only been doing it for 16 years, so he started pretty late. And
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean? consider all, all things considered, I think he did start uh, around 30. fairly late in his mid 20s or something like that, late um, 20s, maybe 30. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, that's the funny thing is like. I think a lot of guys feel like once you hit a certain age, you're like, uh, Oh, I well, now I'm too old or I can't do it or whatever. And guys like, uh, you know, Ron white and Rodney started when he was young, but he's the most famous case of not getting famous till he's 50. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you have that gene, like if you can, if you are funny enough, you don't necessarily know when it's going to pop. And I feel like guys like Ron white are more, the reason they get famous when they're a little older is because he's kind of an old soul. So, if you imagine this version of Ron White, if you imagine him telling these stories at 25, I don't know if it hits the same. You know, it's not a guy with as much life experience. Um, I feel like, it. you know, it takes a lot of uh, crafting to get to that point, whereas Jim Jeffries, who was famous very young, just had amazing stories early on and was a good storyteller. So, it was, I think, easier for him to develop that character. Hmm.
2: And I'm I'm going to jump back real quick to a point you made earlier. You're saying he stood out from the other blue collar guys. Yeah. And I actually completely forgot about this till just this second at the end of every show they would all do or movie, they would all go on the stage together. Right. And that's when he really stuck out like a sore thumb (laughs) standing next to those guys trying to like riff with the crowd. Yeah.
0: Right. Cause he's just different. He's not, he doesn't fit in that same mold where they are all perfectly comfortable being complete cornballs, you right. know, like the idea of, um, I mean, we've talked enough about the blue collar tour, so I'll just keep doing it, I guess, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's a big part of his story. the story. The, the, that tour started with Ron white and Larry, the cable guy essentially as the openers, like they would each do 15 minutes then, um, Engval and Foxworthy would each do a half hour. I think I have that sounds, amount of time right, sounds right. And then it became, uh, not long after that, it became, you know, Larry got so huge that it became, uh, I think Larry would close the shows where it would be, uh, Engval and Ron White for 15 minutes, Jeff for half an hour, and then Larry for, I think, like, 45 or something like that. Like, he became a phenom. We'll do a Larry the Cable Guy episode at some point, I'm sure. Um, But it's funny when you have, um, like, if there's a real comedy fan in that audience, they're just thinking, ah, fuck, I wish you went back to the first guy that came out here. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so I now I think we start getting into Ron's uh, back into Ron's personal life a little later in life, correct? Yeah, this
2: is about uh, his breakup.
0: Yeah, so Ron had a very strange marriage to someone, and he would identify it as not a marriage at all. It was a very strange story. Um So this is him on Jim and Sam talking about it.
1: You broke up in June with your with the woman you're with. Yes. How long were you together? A long time more than five years yeah long so, enough that she claimed they were married yeah, yeah. she did claim yeah. that um right. that's just probably a, I'm, I'm thinking that's a monetary mo- motivational yeah thing. um
2: yeah it sounds <laughs> like i, I haven't she- figured it out yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh so am I, am I shedding some light on that with yeah, my insight
0: <laughs> <laughs> nail on the head norton really he sniffed that one out <laughs> so yeah he's with this woman for a long time and they break up but I guess in the area that he lived in she was able to squeeze a few dollars out of him because well he'll explain a little more in this next clip
1: let me ask you too you said uh, I, I've read I don't know if it's true or not maybe you didn't say this uh, was it true you did not want to get married without a prenup which I think is an extremely smart way to be not only did I say that I didn't uh, get married without a prenup so and we are going to you know to um uh, we're, we' we' planned this big huge wedding in Dallas that that I don't know if she spent a quarter of a million dollars on if she spent a nickel of it and I was pissed then still pissed about that wedding and it, but I it, she the way she got me to agree to it, she said well I'll sign a prenup so I'll just like, you know recognize all the things that have happened before I got here sure which is a bunch yeah and uh, but when it came down to it, you know, they, they were stalled, and her lawyer, and my lawyer, and then it got to where it was too close to the date for it to be valid. And How though, close to the date? I heard with them, you should be a month out. I think it, a couple of weeks, but this got to within six or seven days, and then it was going to be completely void.
0: Because then so, she signed under duress, then they take yeah, a challenge. Yeah. exactly. Du- yep. Exactly.
1: So I thought, well, I'll, you know, I thought I would marry her, you know, but because she said, well, then we'll, we'll just you know, we'll, we'll have this ceremony thing. It's a party. People came from all over the world and, uh, all over the world. She toured Europe, said so a lot sure, of friends sure. over there. So, uh, so I genuinely thought I would marry her at that time. I, you know, I'm deeply in love with her. And, uh, so, but we just never did it. I mean, she never, the, it was always there to sign her lawyer, approved it. My lawyer approved it. She just never did it. And it turns out in, in, uh, California that matters, because uh, I just assumed, you know, I'm, I'm screwed here, but it turns out I probably am anyway. But, <laughs> but you, but there is no common law in uh, in California, so you can live with somebody a hundred years, and if you don't have a contract with them. Then if you do You're done But if you don't Doesn't matter You're not married to him. It's uh Huh And uh, the same in Georgia But not Texas So what she's claiming is That we Spent so much time In Texas Visiting our family And performing That makes us married In Texas
2: Isn't that bizarre <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a woman That never really liked him.
0: I mean, guy, if you uh, if you guys listen to the Blind Mike Project, you know Craig has a lot of victory all towards uh, Kalila, who's married to comedian or was dating comedian uh, Bobby Lee, and they lived together for a long time. I know she's just Imagine how everybody. much Craig would hate this broad if we knew who she was. <laughs> um, re- that's really weird. But the reason I threw that clip in is a because I think it's an interesting story, but also I thought it was very interesting. If you go and listen to the full thing. Um, to hear Ron's like perspective on it where he's talking about it and he realizes it's, you know, financially driven and, you know, makes him question to this woman ever like me, or was she with me for the money? But he talks about it with such perspective that I'm amazed by. It. And he doesn't talk about it in an angry way. He doesn't get heated about it. He doesn't seem bitter. He kind of just seems like a guy like, yeah, that happened. It kind of sucked. I hate that she spent all that money, but you know, that's how life is, and that's a pretty interesting, and I feel like you, you hear a lot of that in his stand-up, where it's not necessarily done with a bitter perspective, it's not done with a, uh, you know, whatever the opposite of that would be, where it's like, hey, everything's cool, he's kind of just telling you the facts,
2: you know? Right, exactly, but that that's, goes to your point about his age, and like, if this was Dan Cook in his prime, he'd probably be spazzing. Well, it's funny you say Dane Cook. It's almost like I knew that was coming and I was trying to segue. (laughs)
0: Boy, what a segue. So so, uh, the best in the biz, folks. (laughs) Um, So uh, I threw this clip in here. To tweak Craig a little bit, if you you go back and listen to our Dane Cook episode. But also because um, it shows you just how honest Ron is. And again, it speaks to that, uh, like I was just saying, where he's kind of just talking the facts. He doesn't seem angry. He doesn't seem... Uh, polite about it, he doesn't seem any any which direction. He's just kind of telling you the truth.
1: Uh my best um, uh comedy album store story, and I don't mean this to be mean or anything else, uh, but it was uh I was watching the red, the record sales because my records was selling. And then uh, then Dane Cook comes in, and he just blows by me. And I'm like, who's this guy? Because I'm, I'm not an L.A. guy. I'm a road guy. You know, yeah. we don't know what's going on out here, nor do we give a shit. And, uh, but I thought, well, it must be so I was at a bookstore and I saw it and I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it and see what it, see what it's like. So literally I'll listen to it on the way home. When I got home, I pulled it out, threw it in the trash. Not, <laughs> not to be mean, but just because I don't keep things I don't use. Right. And I knew I wouldn't listen to it again and I wasn't going to give it to somebody else to listen to. And so <laughs> I don't need it anymore. It's uh, it, we've run our, you know, run our thing and, and uh, not to say anything bad about uh dang cause has been plenty of bad things have been said but <laughs> and, uh, but i just yeah. I, I was so un into it that i'm mean, like if that's what they're doing out there then uh, they're getting away with murder because those aren't punchlines. i'm sorry to tell you <laughs> just and that's what i'm talking about
0: that matter of fact way of speaking where it almost doesn't even sound like he's trashing him <laughs> he's just stating facts but the thing i do find interesting about that is i feel like it's hard for a guy to have that that hard opinion on Dane Cook and also have toured with Larry, the cable guy and Jeff Foxworthy. And I mean, I, in my mind, particularly Bill Engvall, who people have, have, and could say a lot worse about.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to take what he says seriously about Dane Cook. Cause this next clip we're going to watch in a minute, I think justifies Dane Cook. Oh, Interesting. I don't know if I know what this is. Can I hear it? It's, it's him running for president and he's a psychopath. Oh, that's.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is weird. I've spent, you know, 40 minutes now talking about all the perspective Ron White has. What an <laughs> even killed guy he is. What a cool guy I think he is. You know, he doesn't get too high. Doesn't get too low. And then he does this in 2016. <laughs> he, he launches a political campaign.
1: How legit is this campaign going to be? Oh, it's basically, it's, you know, a lot of people are waiting for the punchline. There is no punchline. Uh, I believe that I'm as qualified as anybody running for president to be president. You don't have to be a brain surgeon or a hotel builder or run a, a giant corporation. Uh, I stack words for a living, which is way harder than any of those things. And I'm a good listener and a good decision Not true. maker. And, uh, and quite frankly, I don't want to be president. But if the people of this country want me to go do this for them, I'll go do it.
0: Very, a very strange, I, I, like, a blip in Ron White's career. It completely deviates from everything he's ever done before or since. Oh, I know. It's so out of place. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, and he goes on to talk a lot about, like, wanting to legalize weed and things like that. Um, and, scream, yeah, and, I, and scream at the camera like a crazy person. <laughs> you know, the reason this podcast exists, as I've said many times, is... Uh, I wanted to respect the art form of comedy more than it gets. Um, Like, I think it's just as valid a form of entertainment and has uh, influenced as many people as film or television or music. Um, So I felt it deserved, uh, uh, you know, some acknowledgement. But uh, I think it's fucking nuts to say that uh, stacking words for a living, as he called it, which again... A very nice folksy way of putting it. I like stacking words. I love, that's that's the cool Ron White. But to say it's harder than a brain surgery or building hotels, I feel like is a bit of an overstatement. You know, I would
2: say just a smidge,
0: <laughs> just a little bit. He might got he might have gotten uh, uh, you know a little uh, out of sorts there, but. And that could be because of the lifetime of funneling booze down his gullet yes. that he did. Who knows? Perhaps he was a little wet brained. Um, so during the pandemic, uh, I think he finally decided uh, maybe it was time to take a break. Is that where we're going next? Yeah. Getting sober. Yeah. So let's hear about that. So <laughs> we, we admire you, man. And you look great. You look fucking great, man.
1: Well, you know, I haven't had a drink of alcohol in 16 months, I am not proud to say. And uh, (laughs) I I believe that there's so much alcohol that you can drink in your lifetime. And I drank mine. You got it. And uh, the next time when I come back in another life, I'm going to drink a little slower. Okay. You know, so I have a little extra boost to drink (laughs) in my 60s and 70s.
0: You have a little little time with it later on. What are you doing to, like, fill the...
1: You know, the void of that. Hard drugs. Drugs? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. a lot of hard drugs. What I've done is, uh, you know, I do, uh, you know, I I suffered a little depression when I was, you know, kind of in the pandemic and I was drinking a lot of uh, my tequila. And uh, and and then somebody suggested mushrooms might be a way to, to get me out of that funk so i started macro dosing those and i don't have scales or anything but you know it's probably more than the recommended uh just eyeballing do- it? I, it's like that much i don't know if you can tell is that a weight measure or anything about that much mushrooms yeah. and uh i gotta tell you it pulls you right out of the funk it does huh
0: I think this has to be why I loved my trip to Houston so much is I just love the way they talk (laughs) just to refer to getting sober as, you know, I think everybody has a certain amount of booze they can drink in a lifetime. And I drank mine. I love it. (laughs) It's such a nice way of talking. (laughs) It really is. I just want to be part of that, that lifestyle. (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, Ron obviously said during the pandemic, um, it basically got to a point What's the next clip
2: so I don't spoil anything Is any? Ron's plane
0: oh, Okay good So um I'll just talk a little more about it That he said during the pandemic Basically he would start It got to a point where he had nothing to do So he would start drinking at 3 o'clock in the afternoon And be drunk by 5 in the afternoon And you know It just got to a point where it was getting crazy And he was tired of feeling like shit He realized he's in, he's in his 60s now Um, his dad died at age 51, I think. So he probably realized, you know, who knows how much I'm, I'm playing with borrowed time if I keep drinking like this, maybe. Um, and so a couple of the things that he did were, uh, self-medicate. Like he talked about mushrooms there. He also tried ayahuasca, which Craig talked about. Um, and, uh, he tells a story about that trip and how that basically, um, Helped him get sober in a way that I hear a lot of guys talk about. I don't know if I trust myself the way I react to things to ever, um, you know, roll the dice on having that type of therapeutic moment, because I'm sure it goes just as bad
2: for some people as well. Oh, I'd have a bad one, too. I'd have like a panic attack.
0: Yeah, I don't know how I would be because like on weed, I think I'm fine. But like with alcohol, people have seen how I react sometimes if I have a little too much. So who knows what the fuck I would do? And I'm insecure about everything. So God only knows what would come up on an ayahuasca trip. But it worked for Ron White. But the other interesting thing that he talked about is um, he, he tried to get sober once before. I think he said 12 years prior. And he spent... I believe the final number was $100,000 on rehab for six weeks. Jesus. Uh, And I could even be off on those numbers, but I believe that's about what it was, give or take. And uh, he said, you know, I didn't really have $100,000 to spend every six weeks. So I didn't know if I was going (laughs) to, how long I was going to stay sober. And it didn't take that time. And the scary thing for guys like that is, you know, you wonder if when he stops drinking, is, will he? Ha- will that cause problems? A right. guy that's drank that much every day for X number of years, um, will he have withdrawals? Will that fuck up his heart or his liver? Or You know, God knows what. Um, so those are some of the fears that go into that. And, you know, uh, credit to a guy, there aren't a lot of guys that just drink for, you know, 50 years or however long he was doing it. Yeah. And then one day are just able to say like, hey, yeah, that's enough, you know, and obviously it probably wasn't that easy for him. But to some extent, he was kind of like, yeah, you know what? You've had your your fill, as he said. That's a, like an impressive thing to do. So hats off to him, I guess.
2: Yeah. But, uh, this was a I, I'm sure people have heard about uh, this plane incident.
0: Yeah, this is another one. He has a, a bit about this that's uh, fairly famous. It's also made like um,
2: serious news, though.
0: Yeah, it made the news It's just a fascinating story But the most interesting thing about it To me Is that Ron
2: White had a private plane No, he's got stupid money
0: That's how successful This goddamn blue collar tour was That I'm talking about Ron White being Underappreciated like an asshole Meanwhile he's got a private jet That flies around the country (laughs) Um, But let's hear this story So uh, He's taking a private plane And uh, he lands in, I believe, Tampa for a show. And he gets there not that long before a show. Um, But he has to go through the uh, proper checks and balances when he lands. And then... As you know, you'd hear Vero Beach very seldom. And then one day they're like, hey, you know what happened in Vero Beach? Ron White got arrested here. And I was like, what? And uh, it was on your plane or your plane had landed. Right. What's the actual
1: story? The the actual story is I was I was flying in there for two shows at the Sunrise Theater, I believe, in Fort Pierce. Okay, And uh, and I was on the plane. It's my plane. Uh, by myself with two pilots, and and there were new pilots because I fired my old pilots. The old pilots uh, decided it would be great to call a number and report a drug smuggler. This plane, and you can follow, the, you know, anything on flightaware. Uh-huh. And uh, so before I would land, that's what they would do, and and uh, but it never worked. But this time it did, and.
0: It never worked, but this time it did (laughs) That's all they really need, Ron Is for it to work once (laughs) Just once, especially on a smuggling (laughs) (laughs) That's a I mean, that's a ballsy uh, Ex-employee Tack to take Just reporting fake crimes And (laughs) hoping it comes through (laughs) right? But I guess he knew enough That Ron traveled with enough weed That uh, this guy suspected it might work Imagine being that big of
2: a piece of shit
0: that's, that. I mean, that's wild. And who I, you know, like we're only, we only know the public uh, Ron White. So who knows how he was as a boss? Maybe he was an asshole, but that's still wild. Obviously, the guy's not smuggling drugs. So to potentially put him in jail for that is a real
2: dirtbag move. Not only does he have enough money for a private plane, he's got two pilots on retainer for whenever he needs them. <laughs> that is, that's such insane money. It really? The is. amount.
0: The amount he must be getting for gigs is fucking wild. I'm going to check his um, name. So I'll, I'll probably, you know what? He's on my list of guys I haven't seen that I would like to. And now I probably never will if he's really retiring. That's sad. Is this whole,
2: is this the rest of his year planned out? Is he coming around?
0: Um, I haven't seen anything in Boston, so I don't know. But hopefully, uh, if you know anything, folks, let me know so I can see the great Ron White. And, um, you know, as we wind down, we'll finish the uh, plane story here. But as we wind down, I figure I should just say, like, I know this probably isn't the most in-depth episode we've done. It's kind of more like, I guess, more like the Patrice episode where we're kind of just talking about glimpses of his life and getting into it a little bit Mm -hmm. and paying tribute to the guy. Um, And I would like to start doing more of those for certain guys I like that I feel... Are uh, to an extent underappreciated. Like I said, he's got private plane money, so fuck him. But uh, like I'm doing Ron White a favor on this podcast. Net, but net worth um, is uh,
2: 50, it says. What's that? His net worth is 50 million. 50 million? Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: uh, yeah, so if you guys have guys like that that you would like me to uh, throw in the mix uh, that you think would make for good episodes like this one, then let me know. Um, but yeah, i curious on any feedback. Uh, for this episode which you can do at blindmike.net, but let's continue with the uh, so he lands in uh, Vero Beach
1: so they you know they get me off the plane and these cops were solid dudes and they were fans of course and they go Ryan here's what happened and I said uh uh, he said can we search the plane it'll all be better if we can just determine that you're not a drug smuggler which we already know you're not you're here to do a show we all we totally get it we're fans we have tickets yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right Yeah. short of that but so I'm like yeah go ahead search the plane so they put drug dogs on the plane well of course I smoke pot on the plane so the dogs are rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> I don't know what that's uh, all about but and uh, then the guy goes, uh, the dog needs to sniff that bag on your shoulder. And I was like, and, uh,
0: <laughs> so So uh, they take him in, and he has to do a show that night. So let's hear a little bit more about how that plays out. Yeah, this is our last clip, by the way. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so this is him... Um, This I think kind of shows how big he is and despite me saying maybe he's not as big in um, like circles up north or whatever uh, this kind of shows you how dedicated his fan base was
1: When I got out out of the when they released me There was a a truckload of of kids, a pickup truck full of kids that had these big signs that they'd already made that said, free tater. (laughs) And and God, I hate myself for being in such a hurry that I couldn't stop and address that, take a picture with them or something. But I was two hours late to this show. Yeah. And uh, not one person left. Everybody stayed there stayed. for two hours waiting for me to get out of jail. What was that like <laughs> and, uh, that night? It was, it was absolutely one of the most insane responses I've ever, ever gotten walking on stage. Yeah. But-
0: I mean, I can only imagine. <laughs> but that's, and um, I think Bert Kreischer kind of has a similar audience now where he's out doing uh, these like minor league baseball stadiums and I've heard a lot of guys, you know, like uh, Big J O'Kerson, and these guys that are on the road with Bert right now doing that uh, fully loaded tour, say that when Burt pops his shirt off, the response that he gets is unreal. Like, say what you want about Bert as a comedian, but his fan base is so dedicated and so like, eager to see him. And I think Ron White has a taste of that because, like I said, there's something to that style of comedy, there's something similar to me to like podcasting where Ron is, you know, he's doing, you know, these theaters and these big venues, but yet he's intimate enough with his audience. And there's something about uh, the store, the personal stories that he's telling and just the, you know, kind of ambiance of standing up there with a cigar and a drink in his hand. There's something about that that almost makes you feel like, ah, this is my drinking buddy. Like he said, his fans feel like um, you know, he's their ultimate drinking buddy. Right. And um, I think that's what podcasts are in a way where you feel like, you know, you're in on these conversations, like for the amount of time that you're listening you know, you're. It sounds corny, but hanging out with these people—that's what made Stern so popular back in the day. Like he was the one, one of the first to create that kind of environment where his fans felt like, uh, you know, they were in on it, and ultimately they weren't, and everything on that show was <laughs> fake, apparently. But, but that's for another day. <laughs> um, uh, my point is that I think Ron and, uh, you know, just to bring it back to the blue collar guys again. I don't know if Jeff Foxworthy has that, where people are feel like, oh, I know a Jeff Foxworthy. I hang out with guys like Jeff. You think of that as Ron. Ron, you feel like, oh, I know him. I know I know a few Ron Whites. And, uh, you know, whether I like hanging out with him all the time is questionable. But I like tipping a few back with them once in a while. And uh, that's the thing. I think some of the other guys on that tour lost, like... Um, I do think there's a, a cornball element to Jeff Foxworthy when he got in trouble earlier in the year for, um, you know, people were mad, not in trouble, but people were mad about his... Um, he made some joke about, uh, like, the, you know, everyone gets a trophy era. And people were, like, outraged about the, the joke that he's mocking these, these kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 what you should be offended by is that Jeff Foxworthy in 2022 is making an Everybody Gets a Trophy joke. Correct. You know, and I feel like that's the, the kind of corny old man shit that Ron White has avoided because um, he's such a personal comedian. So I'm curious what you guys think. I'd like to know because I think Ron White, while in my mind he does fit the category of comedian that we talk about a lot, um, like a lot of the guys that I'm a fan of, he is different in a way. So I'll be curious if you guys are big Ron White fans, uh, if this kind of changed your perspective on it at all, um, or if you just think he's a hack and I'm an idiot. Either way, you can you can let me know. And the best place to let me know is on Patreon, where uh, you can become a subscriber. Um, you get two months free. I, I never say that. You get two months free if you subscribe for the full year. So consider doing that, uh, especially at those higher tiers. Helps you save a few bucks. Um But uh, go to blindmike.net. If you don't want to support the show financially, then you can do it for free. Um, Just, you know, leave a five-star review, uh, comment, like, share, all the stuff that you're supposed to do on a podcast. Do that for us, if you'd be so kind. Get the word out there. And, uh, of course, you can also find The Craigster at verygoodshow.org. If you want to uh, check out his Patreon.
2: Yeah, if you want to be even more kind than you're already being, that'd be lovely. Yes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) If you have more generosity (laughs) in you, then uh, go to verygoodshow.org as well. And um, support all the shows. You know, be a pal. Um, All right, guys. We will talk to you next time. Next couple episodes, by the way. Uh, I feel like I should do this more, is tell you what's coming up next. Um, I believe the next couple, at least, that I have planned out, will be Roseanne Barr, very controversial character, and uh, a real curmudgeon, Chevy Chase. Uh, a notorious asshole. <laughs> but, so uh, we'll learn a little bit more about them over the next couple weeks. So stay tuned, and we will talk to you guys next time on Why Are You Laughing?